G'day listeners, Aaron here. Before we get started on this episode, this is our new initiative called The Bloop Testing Grounds, where we're going to try out different pilots or one-offs or things like that. Maybe we've got an idea for a show that won't last beyond one episode so orphaned pilots can go here too so either way i hope you enjoy this and i'll leave details at the end where you can let us know if it worked or if it was a failure enjoy welcome to the blooming league of original podcast g'day and welcome to cinema survivor where we see if you can outscript, out roleplay and outlast your favorite movies i'm your host aaron and for today's episode, I'm joined by film critic Brian Egger to see if he would survive Minority Report. G'day, Brian. How you going? I'm great. How are you, Aaron? Pretty good, thanks. So for our listeners at home, we've just had an incident where I forgot to hit record and we were talking for about 10 minutes, but Brian's audio was a little bit worse. Now it's good. All of a sudden, the miracle of Spielberg. So are you ready for the world of pre-crime? I am. I'm so pumped for it. This is quite a fascinating world. It is. It's uh, a film that I love. You know, it's one of the few films where I went back to see uh, several times in the theaters. Uh, I had read the short story beforehand. I'm a big fan of Philip K. Dick, Mm -hmm. uh, who wrote the original short story. Uh, I'm obviously a big fan of Spielberg, as I think a lot of people are. But this particular story is just very interesting to me. It's it's got a... uh, fast-paced momentum a lot of fun set pieces so i think it'll be fun to explore it in this in this venue and i'm sure we'll get into it during the game but it does have a lot of uh, fun set pieces as you say i've always thought it make a good video game uh, and i know they did do one but it wasn't very good apparently but doing a, a current generation minority report video game imagine that where you you've got your hub obviously with your your um Oh my god! I've just watched it three times. That I'm gonna call them prefects. What are they? Precogs. They're precogs. Precogs. Yeah. Yes, that's it. Um, with your precogs, and you get randomized crimes that you've got to go then stop. So I mean, it's just like that taxi game, isn't it? Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember the Minority Report game. I played that. I think it was like you know PlayStation Two or something like that. It was it was kind of fun. Uh, it wasn't great storytelling or anything, but I think if you could do something in the vein of a third person shooter like Red Dead Redemption or something like that, and just have a elaborate game, that would be a lot of fun. Are you big on movie games? It depends. There was a Mad Max game actually that came out around the time Fury Road came out, and that was a pretty great game. Yeah, I'm halfway through it. I mean, they're, they're, half of them are terrible. Yeah, I don't play them because they're good. I played them to see what they did with the translation. Now, you will probably get a kick out of this. I've only got the booklet here. The case is somewhere in the uh, my desk where there's so many notes, but I actually have the original PlayStation game of City of Lost Children. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's crazy. I didn't know if there was a game of that. What could you possibly do in that game? I can't remember, but this was back when booklets actually were booklets, and so there's information in there. If I was to actually read the booklet, might know. Uh, I also have The Crow, City of Angels. The Crow would be kind of a cool, like, action game. Any developers out there, please buy the rights. Goodness me. Um, I love The Crow. So you're a film critic. How do you think you will go surviving Minority Report? Do you think you will? Uh, I, I don't know that I will survive Minority Report. I think you have to be Tom Cruise to survive Minority Report. Uh, you know, I, I'm not out of shape, but uh, this whole idea of everybody runs, uh, I'm not much of a runner. I'm not completely out of shape, as I said, but uh, I don't know that I could keep up the momentum that he keeps up. Uh, I'm more, you know, I picked this more for the idea 
of all the different fun little set pieces and mm-hmm. wanted to explore that. But I was thinking about this last night and it's like, boy, you, uh, you're out of shape. You'd be, <laughs> you'd start running and a half mile later, you'd be, uh, guys, just take me. I don't know about that. <laughs> Anyways, what would you say would be your three biggest strengths? All right. So I think as it applies to this movie, I'm good in an emergency. Yep. Although most situations I'm socially awkward or just don't know what to do with myself. Yep. I've been in a couple of emergency situations where I suddenly become this very take charge, you know, problem solver, very level headed and just a good leader in an emergency. So I think that's a great strength for this scenario. Mm-hmm. I'm also very organized. I think, you know, just organizing time and multitasking and being able to keep things orderly is a strength of mine that I use on a regular basis. And then lastly, you know, I just kind of have an artistic sensibility. I'm a creative person and I use that creativity on a, on a regular basis. Now, what would you say would be your three biggest weaknesses? Because these are the things that are going to trip you up in my game muhaha so as it relates to this game i tend to not believe in myself and doubt what i'm going to do okay yeah kind of stop myself from making decisions that maybe i know in my gut are right yeah i'm very antisocial. Uh, i tend not to step outside of my comfort zone or just maintain strong relationships because i'm i am an antisocial person i just like to be alone a lot of the time which is you know a characteristic of john anderton in this in this movie he spends a lot of time by himself watching videos of his ex-wife and his lost kid he's sort of lost in his trauma isn't he and i've lost my pen <laughs> this is your past trauma yeah i oh my god tell me about it there are like 16 freaking pens beside my bed and this one i'd had like a, oh is that it no that's the clicky pen i'm not allowed to use i'm banned from clicky pens oh that's oh my god do you know where it was in the crease of my pants. There you go. I told you I'm a moron. Continue. Sorry. No, no. So, yeah, he does get lost in his trauma, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And and Neuroin, he's taking that Neuroin drug, whatever that is. So, And then I think the last thing that kind of gets me uh, is that I can be rudely honest or unfiltered. You know, my wife compares me to Larry David in certain situations, and I'm just somebody who, unfortunately, sometimes just says what's on his mind and kind of enjoys to breaking up politeness i guess you know decorum and whatnot i I tend to enjoy shattering that chaos you enjoy chaos a little bit yeah 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 i'll put that as blunt so we got in your strengths you're good in emergency which i put as fight over flight number two organized and three creative your weaknesses are self-doubt antisocial and you're blunt so what would the name of your character be i'm gonna say brian anderton and just keep it simple mr anderton because i'd also watched the matrix in preparation for another test recording sure so i keep saying mr anderton like they do in the matrix anyways okay well you know what you could be a technician because i think someone who's a bit antisocial and creative organized and possibly blunt maybe a computer nerd that's fair i mean you could be an agent i probably wouldn't be an agent i mean if we're being realistic i probably wouldn't want to be a a voice of authority okay well we'll cross that out then now also being blunt self-doubt antisocial creative and organized you could definitely be a suspect probably more than a victim because those are the traits of serial killers yeah (laughs) it could be a hacker but i think in this you would be john's brother who is a reporter oh interesting and you are doing a story on pre-crime absolutely that sounds great 
that's who you are in this and that's how you get caught up in all this intrigue because obviously someone's doing a story on pre-crime maybe someone else wouldn't want there to be a story getting out there we don't know (laughs) yes you would be a reporter with the district of columbia gazette okay let me write that down now what would be the weapon of choice for you i'd probably have a a self-defense weapon you know nothing that's going to do too much harm and i would have to imagine that they're passing out those you know six sticks at malls i reckon you've got like a flash thing a thing that'll flash a bright light to stun a flash stunner that's what you got you're gonna flash people you pervert okay All right. And do you have a catchphrase because you're a reporter? I think I would prefer Hachimachi. Hachimachi. Okay. Yeah. It's just become a totally different movie. I don't know if you've ever watched The Critic with John Lovitz. Yes, I have it on DVD. Yeah, it was like Judd Apatow and a lot of a lot of big people worked on that show. Brad Bird, I think. Because it's spun off from The Simpsons. Jay Sherman. Yeah, but his, you know, one of his his catchphrases was Hachimachi. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm just stealing that. It's not original at all. It's just yeah. a reference to something else. Okay, so the movie starts off. There's an opening crime that's being prevented. So I don't know if you would be a part of this opening scene but perhaps with it happening would catch your attention and you'd want to do a story on it and your brother's like no don't do a story on it that's not a good idea well he wouldn't say it like that would he but then you would obviously go ahead with the story anyways now do you know your brother is on drugs i probably suspect that he's on drugs yeah knowing that his divorce and i i suspect that he's abusing some sort of substance maybe i don't know that it's neuroin but uh he's spending a lot of time alone in his dirty apartment and probably some substance abuse going on there well there's your motivation for not taking no for an answer is he your older brother or your younger brother he's probably my younger brother well okay you know looking it up he would have been exactly 40 when this movie came out because it came out in 2002 so and i'm 40 so maybe we're twins possibly yeah i thought you were younger no i just turned 40 this year oh wow happy birthday whenever that was thanks probably months ago so i look like an idiot anyways okay so obviously you will be there to meet colin farrell oh you bastard that's my job i love him (laughs) Because that was when he was sort of coming out big. Like this was his first Hollywood picture and he was the it boy for a time there. He was the it bad boy. He was. It was like that and Daredevil and Phone Booth. And I think it all kind of started with Tigerland, right? Yeah. Which was pretty good. Yeah. And then he did Alexander with Oliver Stone. Yeah. That's a movie that I kept revisiting maybe like two or three times because they kept putting out different cuts. Oh, yeah. And I kept hoping that it would be good each time, but it just wasn't. What a shame. Yeah. Okay. So what type of reporter do you think you would be? Because you're a shy person, antisocial, but here you want to get your story, don't you? You self-doubt but you're blunt. I think taking from my own life, when I'm forced to go on assignment on something like this, I'm fine for a a minimum period of time to go and just get the job done and then go back to my hole. So I think I would be fine. In this scenario, it would probably make sense to be given that pre-crime is sort of a a testing ground right now in Washington, D.C. for me to be kind of investigating pre-crime and and figuring out if this is you know something the rest of the united states needs because they're going to be i think voting in the senate on whether or not uh, to expand pre-crime 
uh, throughout the U.S. So that seems like a great story to cover. How old is this pre-crime thing? Because they look pretty set up. Like it doesn't look like something that they just popped up overnight, surely. I think it's only been around for a short time, though, when the movie starts because it's still in its testing phase. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I must have missed that detail. <laughs> yeah, not surprising. Um, Okay. Well, I reckon... While Colin Farrell's doing his Colin Farrell thing, you would be pretty quiet listening in, taking notes then, obviously, because we need to keep you in the scene. If you're going to ask too many questions, Colin Farrell will have you removed. And I won't fight that because that leaves me alone with Colin Farrell. So are you spying on your brother, do you think? Because you know he's up to something and he does a drug deal on the street. Yeah, he's in a bad way. I, I don't think I'm necessarily investigating him, but I think I'm there investigating pre-crime, compartmentalizing the fact, everything that I know about John. I'm just sort of setting that aside for the moment and trying not to make that connection part of the story at all, trying not to even address it in the story, and maybe just kind of keeping one eye on John and what's going on with him. You know, he's a guy who has got it together, when Colin Farrell's investigating and within the pre-crime offices uh, doesn't show signs of, you know, his addiction or his trauma, he's able to function very well in his job. All right. So how about, okay, you're driving home from work because obviously you're doing this story on pre-crime and you're driving past and you see him as you're driving past. But then when you look in the rearview mirror, he's disappeared into the shadows And that's where you start getting suspicious of him because where did he just go? So that, well, at least maybe if you're already suspicious of him, that cements why you're suspicious of him. So that's going to put you right next to him because you're not letting your brother leave your side so that he will um, go off and and do do his uh, drugs. Now, where does this fit into the MCU? That's a great question. Thank you. This is where, obviously, the red ball comes in. Now, you're going to see it. You know that now that your brother's done something suspicious, he's disappeared off into the shadows, and now he's being pinned for a murder. Do you believe he's innocent? As someone who's a general skeptic, I would probably, using my journalistic skepticism and wanting and desire to dig in more, I would probably not believe that pre-crime is a great thing. Arresting people, I think, before they actually do something is kind of a creates a utopia, but everyone's utopia is somebody else's dystopia, and I would be very much aware of that and so i would be suspicious of pre-crime uh and so when my brother is accused of murder i would definitely be suspicious of that so your brother's running away but you're not letting him go you've got to keep up with tom cruise yeah i don't know that that's gonna happen i think if john and brian are brothers i think it's kind of a twin situation where he's the arnold and i'm the danny devito and so i'm not going to be able to physically catch up with him so if he's running on foot and you know trying to get away in his car my car probably hasn't been commandeered it looks like in the movie that they can commandeer someone's vehicle and and take control over it which prompts him to go on foot i think i in my car can follow help him get to where he needs to go you've got to help him get his eyes taken out ultimately he's you know running out of his car he evades some fellow pre-crime guys and jetpacks and six sticks and goes into the kitchen and clear adr with the woman screaming get out of my kitchen get out of my kitchen yeah. 
But whatever it is, yeah. it's definitely ADR. Yeah. He uh, eventually escapes to the auto factory and gets in a fight with Colin Farrell and uses that uh, wind up concussion gun, which is quite cool, and escapes in a uh, new Lexus. Okay. So during that, you're going to be on the phone to him watching from your car, helping him escape and letting him know where people are coming in at him and stuff like that. And then obviously he will escape and you will run with him to the old ladies. But obviously you jump the fence and get stung by the vines. She saves you both, but she doesn't want to save you because you're a reporter. So you are the mortal enemy to Lois Smith's character. All right. So this is obviously where you're going to get a lot of your information from. But you start to believe him here, I think. It sort of makes you obviously put two and two together because, as you say, you are organized and organized people are good at solving problems. Yeah, I think I would just with the idea of a minority report, I think that shatters the whole concept of free crime. And I would definitely try to find out, as John does, where that minority report is stored. So they're not looking for you. So you can help him get back into pre-crime. Oh, are we changing your face? Do you want your face changed? That sounds like a threat. Uh, <laughs> probably wouldn't need to change my face. Uh, I wouldn't be able to get into pre-crime anyway. John's eyes have the security access needed to get into pre-crime. So I would just be dead weight at that point. Would you though? He's got to handle the you know high intensity. Would you though? Because you're a reporter here. You would have hidden cameras and stuff like that that you were able to go ahead of him and check out hallways and stuff like that and relay that information back to him. He can see for himself. Or I would be, you know, maybe sitting out in the car waiting for him to to get the precog and get out of there. Oh, no, we're going to put you in danger already. No, because you, you have survived halfway through this movie already. So, no, you're, you're in the building with him. Sorry. So maybe it's my job to keep people distracted so they're not noticing that John Anderton wanted murder, just checked in to steal a precog. I'm keeping people distracted and asking a lot of questions and raising a fuss. Yeah, asking really nosy questions and controversial stuff to anger the people, anger the people you're asking to keep their focus on you. Yes. Okay, that's even better. So you you see, you're not dead weight. Yeah. <laughs> not yet anyways. Okay, so you go into the house hacker world i think you've been here before your character has been definitely been here well he's anti-social yeah I, I like to unwind with a little virtual reality so what virtual reality world are you going into do i want to know uh probably not let's move on <laughs> jurassic park that's the correct answer i'm probably living out some sort of western you know hero yeah fantasy western outlaw fantasy i do want to go to texas and ride a cowboy one day yeah so you're definitely <laughs> a regular at this place so everyone's saying hello to you as you walk through and your brother's like you want to judge me for doping up when I lost my son but you're coming here living fantasies all the time mate so here's some tension some brotherly family tension we have a, a moment of drama amongst all the drama absolutely except i i don't know that i would be judging him for using neuroin but i wouldn't be turning him in or anything no but you'd be worried i'd be worried yeah you want to help him yes yeah but i wouldn't be judgmental about it i'd, I'd want to help him and just quietly get him off of it but that doesn't mean he wouldn't accuse you of that absolutely that's just people for you yeah so we have a bit of a fight they go to the virtual reality guy to see if there's a minority report in her head to kind of unlock, you know, what's going on in her head. 
they get the little video of the woman who was murdered by Max von Sydow. And lively. And then pre-crime shows up. Yeah, you get the footage and run away with it. So I take the footage? Yeah, well, a copy of the footage. Absolutely. Okay. That puts a target on your back because obviously they'll realize that there was a copy made. But that's where you meet up with him at the scene of the pre-crime. But you're not in the room. So now you, you've got people chasing after you across the city. Question is, how long do you survive? <laughs> I would, unlike John Anderton, I would be less interested in proving my own innocence. I feel like Washington in this scenario is a testing ground for technology. And so the roads and the eye scanners and whatnot, that's not everywhere. And so I would feel the need to get out of there, get out of the zone of observation that they've built in, in Washington. and kind of just take a step back and assess overanalyze things and figure out the best way to do it yeah speaking of cops so did you notice that the cops theme was the same as what it is or was when it was on bad boys bad boys by inner circle oh yeah as if they wouldn't have done a remix in the future by then so I didn't believe that. Okay, so hang on. Back to the story, Minority Report. I think you will have survived because by this point, if you haven't been shot in the back by somebody, you've definitely made it out alive, I think. And you have helped. You were the guy that helped put it up on the screen to sell out Lamar. What's his name? Who's the actor? Because I keep thinking... Uh, Max von Sydow. That's who it was because I think it is not Michael Gambon. It's not James Coburn. It's not James Kahn. I, I couldn't think of who it was, but I know I had read it, but I just couldn't remember who it was. That's right. I did watch it three times. Goodness gracious <laughs> me. Yeah. It was a close call though, obviously, because you're, you're right on the edge of the action all through that. I think if you had have gotten too close to it, maybe you wouldn't have survived. I don't think. I mean, you could argue that uh, the only reason I did survive was that I'm a reporter and people didn't want to piss me off too much and risk exposing pre-crime. In order for you to be murdered, it would have been seen by the pre-cogs. Right, yeah. I would have had to have been to, you know, take me down. I would have had to have been framed. Yeah. Just a question here. For beginners, for people who don't walk around wearing Spielberg t-shirts, in what ways is Minority Report a Spielberg film? His... 2000s era work is a really different than everything that he had done before. And I think Minority Report and, and AI are, are prime examples of this, where he begins to get a little cynical in the 2000s. So in one way, you could argue that his ending, his arguably sentimental ending, where you know the precogs are off on their own, that that's a happy ending. Uh, some people have read it that way. I personally don't find it to be all that sentimental i think that it's depressing that these three tortured people have to live out in a shack by themselves and just read and just to not hear the sounds of murder constantly or other people that sounds really good actually it does sound good but i mean just the reality is that they're victims of this drug and they have to be isolated because their alternative is seeing murders in their mind all the time you know that, that's terrible this whole pre-crime thing is dissolved and yeah it, i don't think it's a happy ending so it's characteristic of spielberg's style in that 2000s era because he did start to want to actively become a more mature filmmaker so i think he's dealing with more mature themes in those films between that and as i said ai and like munich for instance there's just these amazing set pieces and he's great at 
devising very elaborate uh, and elaborately shot set pieces. So, you know, the whole sequence where he first starts to run, he goes from his magnetic car through the apartment complex, jumps off one of those magnetic cars into a, into a yoga class. You know, that's a very Spielbergian moment, just this funny aside. You know, the jetpack sizzling the burgers, that's a very Spielbergian aside. And just that particular set piece keeps going to the jetpack chase, to the car factory. And I mean, it's just so flawlessly like edited and fast paced. And it's like watching an Indiana Jones in the future type situation. The same goes for like the whole eye ball sequence when uh they release those little metallic spiders and they're they're searching and his camera is very just fluidly going over overhead and looking down at the various apartments that are dealing with those spiders i mean that's such a just a dazzling sequence and then the light i think the light throughout the film is very characteristic of his visual style lighting especially in the 2000s yeah that's why i got written here adventure and lighting because it was that lens flare especially a lot of um, a washing of light, I guess. Yeah, it came to the forefront definitely with AI, Minority Report, Munich. In uh, Jurassic Park, if you watch Jurassic Park, that's that's a movie full of lens flares. Thousands of times. <laughs> and underneath this is actually the Lost World poster, but I know you don't like that. So I put Where the Wild Things Are up instead. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I do. I do not like Lost World. That's okay. Hurts. I invite you onto my show and you insult one of the greatest movies ever made. (laughs) Oh, no. In in all those senses, in the visual sense and in his his very... Two thousands era temperament. I think it's it's very much a um, Spielberg film, a rollicking adventure. Absolutely, yeah. There's more on its mind than just a chase movie. They sold it as a chase movie. You know, they had that everybody runs tagline, but I think there's definitely more going on than that. Yeah, oh, definitely. And um, what I find about Spielberg is there is never a stone left unturned. There is no empty space. It's filled with information. It is filled with who these characters are. It's filled with everything you need to know to continue on. Lots of filler, I guess, but it's always, if it's not important, then it's complimentary. Yeah, where another director would probably just shoot the chase. Yes, he's shooting the chase, but he's got a million little asides that are intriguing the viewer and and you know keeping the viewer attentive and, and making it something special. And so the, the big things together. So instead of just going up and down up and then down you're sort of you're more like that if that makes sense so people at home can't see what i'm doing but instead of doing a big roller coaster with hills absolutely not a big sinking low and then a high it's more like a mad mouse roller coaster than a big massive one absolutely and i think you know there are certain films of his that function like that they're flowing and interconnected and then there are other times where he's actively not doing that ai is a great example of a movie that for a while it's flowing on one on one kind of frequency and then it moves on another frequency and then it ends on a completely different frequency people might call that tonal inconsistency but i think that's him exploring the limits of the viewer's empathy and and really testing out his own limits so i I like both extremes yeah i think also with ai he was honoring kubrick Mm -hmm. and he was putting his vision with kubrick's there because that was a project that stanley kubrick was meant to do before he died or even you know munich is is another film that is operating on different frequencies you know there's a whole midsection where you're very kind of enthralled and them killing the terrorists but then you're you know constantly flashing back or dealing with uh the main character's um sense of guilt and kind of trauma over what he's doing so there are lots of different uh, i guess to use the term frequencies again in that film 
Yeah, and jarring moments that will take you out of each thing, like a bomb will suddenly go off or something like that and scare the shit out of me in the cinema. That's it. So you're lucky in that because that was a hard movie to survive. But I do, I love this movie. I think it's absolutely great. I wish I had seen it. Oh, hang on, did I see it at the movies? Oh, God, it was 20 years ago. Yeah. I used to remember everything I saw at the movies. What were you doing 20 years ago? Uh, I think I was seeing this movie about three or four times in the theater. One of the only times I've ever done that, gone back so many times. Just because it's such a fun ride, I kept inviting friends out to go see it. Uh, I was in college learning about art history and film and then seeing this movie wow what was i 2000 i was in the punk scene then so i had a mohawk like a big one. Oh, okay i had about 20 piercings in my face and body most of them i did on my own we were probably at the pub listening to a band or a couple of bands play so yes congratulations you survived minority report oh i'm disappointed well i picked kind of a passive role as a reporter you know i, did, I didn't wasn't too involved and in, I let John take the the brunt of the action. True, but you were always there. We always had you by his side or helping him and stuff, which puts it it does put a target on your back. But we managed to find ways for you to get around that because I think if you had been right next to him the whole time, you would have. Especially in the car thing, I don't think two of you could have fit when the car thing's coming down and he's rolling around. Right. Yeah, no, you definitely would have gone then. Awesome. Okay, we'll we'll round up then. So where can people find you on the social medias? Deepfocusreview.com. And then I'm at deepfocusreview on Twitter uh, and Letterboxd. And then I have a page on Rotten Tomatoes if you want to look at my reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that's where I'd come across your reviews. You always see the same people pop up every now and then because there are only certain amount of film critics or there are only certain amount of legitimate film critics let's just say that everyone's a critic but yes so hopefully that worked but you can let us know on twitter at the bloop network that's one word t-h-e-b-l-o-o-p-n-e-t-w-o-r-k i didn't need to spell it out in fact i don't even know if i spelled it out correctly but it's the bloop network it's written on the thing here so check us out or probably thrash and treasure that twitter is best to find me Anyways, a huge thanks to Brian for joining me. If this works out, I'm going to expand the show, get more guests on, more movies, more games, more survival, or more deaths, who knows. Either way, it'll be a proper episode. This was only a short half an hour, whereas it'll probably be a little bit longer with a theme song, hopefully. Anyways, I guess to you at home, you take care, and we shall see you next time. Maybe. Who wrote?